Hello and welcome to the Strad Podcast. I'm Davina Shum, I'm a cellist and I'm the online editor at the Strad. Now, being a cellist, I was very excited to be speaking to our guest for today's episode, Stephen Isilis. We spoke about the rather thorny topic of consulting musical manuscripts and editions. Which one do you choose? What do you do when there's contradicting information? How do you make a decision? While we may not have finite answers to those questions, we did talk about the challenges faced when consulting the four manuscripts of Bach's solo cello suites, which is the topic of Stephen's new book, The Bach Cello Suites, A Companion. We also spoke about choosing fingerings and bowings for the Dvorak Concerto, which Stephen's just done for the new Henley edition. Here's my conversation with Stephen Islis. Stephen, thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. We're here today to talk about consulting manuscripts and musical editions, something which you've had to do a lot recently because you've recently written a book, a companion to the Bach cello suites called the Bach cello suites, funnily enough, um, where you had to (laughs) consult the four surviving manuscripts um, by the hand of Anna Magdalena Bach, Johann Peter Kellner and the two anonymous sources. So my first question is, uh, when did you first start to consult these manuscripts? Because I, I feel like it's highly unlikely when cellists start off on their journey of Bach that they have all four manuscripts out in front of them beforehand. You know, when did you start to look into these uh, manuscripts? Well, I guess as soon as Anna Magdalena, I found an edition with Anna Magdalena's manuscript at the back, which was the Alexernian edition, which itself was so complicated. I never looked at that at all. But he did have the Anna Magdalena um, manuscript as an appendix at the back. So I started looking at it then. And then much later... Baron Writer had the great wheeze of producing all four manuscripts plus a clean edition plus um, the first edition. That was brilliant. For me, that's the perfect edition of the Bach Suites. And so then, especially before I recorded the Suites, I just went like you know, a demented squirrel between all four manuscripts trying to find you know, <laughs> what Bach himself might have written. It's very, very, it's a huge subject on which I write desperately trying not to be too boring I write at length in the book um, the third manuscript actually is, is only half anonymous the the first bit is by somebody called Schober who apparently was a horn player so I don't know what he was doing copying out the sweets but um, anyway he did yeah it's fascinating but they're so different the manuscripts, and then there's two schools of thought say they're so different because they're copying from different sources, there was more than one Bach manuscript, and there's another school of thought said, no, no, there's got enough in common, they must all be copying from the same manuscript. Mm. But who knows? Nobody knows. And then, you know, how does it feel when you're consulting all these different manuscripts? You know, how, how do you find the consultation of the manuscripts informs your playing? How do you strike that balance between the consultation and your own personal interpretation? Because uh, you mentioned Demented Squirrel earlier. <laughs> how, do you, how do you make a decision? You don't really. And also, of course, I've not, not got such a good memory that I can remember all the different versions <laughs> at all. But I just mark up what's interesting. I put a little pencil mark by anything that really seems different from the others in any of the manuscripts. You know, and then 
I'll change bearings quite a lot. Um, try and decide what is a mistake, which there are many, 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 especially in Anna Magdalena Bach and Kellner, mm-hmm. the two earlier ones. And then try and decide what comes of Bach. I mean, there's a lot of ornamentation, or much more ornamentation, in the latest manuscripts, which we call manuscripts C and D. Does that come from Bach? Does it come from a player? Who knows? Yeah. I mean, the manuscripts C and D, the second two, which were done after Bach's death, they do have much more sensible bowings on the whole, much more cellistic bowings, mm-hmm. which makes me think that despite the fact Schober was a horn player, there's a cellist's hand in there somewhere. And that could have come because they were copied from probably. It's always probably or possibly or maybe in this thing. But they were probably copied from C.P. Bach's copy of the Bach Suites. That might possibly have been done by Bach's son-in-law, Alf Nichol, who played the cello, who had beautiful handwriting. Yeah. Could have been done by him, but there's absolutely no evidence whatsoever that it could have been in Bach's hand, but that seems unlikely because it, in the catalogue when all C.P. Bach's, Bach's manuscripts were put up for sale, mm. it doesn't say in the author's hand, whereas other ones do. Well, you could speculate endlessly, couldn't you? I mean, you could even say that like C.P. Bach, perhaps it was later and so maybe it was more consolidated at that time or maybe just Anna well, Magdalena was in a rush. <laughs> yes, you can certainly say that and I do say that. Yeah. And Kellner was, well, he may have played the violin. Again, it may have. Oh, it's so frustrating. May have played the violin, but basically he was an organist. Mm-hmm. And I think it was as an organist that he approached these pieces. So he wouldn't have been so worried about the bowings and things. In fact, he leaves out the saraband and almost the entire jig of the fifth suite, possibly because there's not enough double stop to make it interesting for an organist. Right. Again, yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't know. I suppose they're used to multitasking and doing things with their feet, and maybe it just didn't well, provide enough, do need, yeah. enough harmonic interest, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, the interesting thing about the saraband that Kellner completely leaves out, which is perhaps you know the most beloved movement of all the Bach suites, and Kellner completely leaves it out, that even Bach did not harmonise it when he came to arrange it for lute. He harmonised all the other movements, but basically the saraband is as bare on the lute as it is on the cello. Wow. And definitely provides some unique challenges there. So how much of your interpretation of the Bach Suites has changed from when you first started to, you know, even day to day? It's going to be different each time. Uh, Are there any particular sort of things that you often fall back on or things that you allow for this kind of flexibility each time that you perform them? Well, I don't know about fall back. I mean, my basic approach which was much influenced by my teacher, Jane Cowan, is above all the dance suites. So you play them like dances with rhythm, you know, with tempo. I know some people think it's authentic to pull the rhythm all over the place. I don't know. We are told that when Bach conducted, it was as if he had rhythm in every part of his body. For me, the the tempo is pretty sacred Mm -hmm. in the dance movements, especially. But even in the preludes, just must this sense of pulse and, you know, the the dances have different metric accents where the, where the dancers' feet hit the floor. And I think yeah. one has to think of those. Uh, but of course, it changes all the time, the way I play the I mean, I don't really perform them much anymore. But still, I think about them and I, of course it changes. But you don't notice it changing, really. It's not like there's any great epiphany. Mm. It's like, I often say this, that it's 
you know, you don't notice yourself aging in the mirror. But, right. <laughs> yeah, you know, course. then you look at a picture from 10 years ago and think, wow, <laughs> I've aged. You don't know why. Well, that's interesting, actually. I mean, have you ever listened back to your recordings of the Bach Suites and just thought like, whoa. I had to the other day listen to the prelude because I was on a radio programme and they played it and I had to hear when it finished. So I had to listen to a bit of it. Yep. But I'd rather not. Right, yeah. Is that, Because it's, it's such a... Um, ephemeral snapshot of one moment in time, you know. Yeah. Well, yes. I mean, it's not that ephemeral, though. You you build up to a recording, you make sure you're mm. ready, you work and work and work and work. It's a pretty studied snapshot and sort of photoshopped snapshot, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I would say. But yes, it is the way you saw the piece that day. And yes. And it will change, of course, after the recording. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, interesting. So moving on to the Dvorak concerto, because you've yeah. recently contributed fingerings and bowings to the new Henley edition of the concerto. Have. And, you know, with fingerings and bowings, there has to be this element of flexibility to allow for spontaneity uh, in performance, because performance environments are going to change all the time, you know, depending on your... Mm depending on your hands, depending on how your instrument's feeling that day, depending on how you're feeling that day, depending on your bow, mm -hmm. your strings, all sorts of things. So, you know, what kind of performance environment do you have in mind when you're writing down just these fingerings for this one edition? You know, yeah. we've talked a lot about, like, things changing um, and snapshots and stuff, but what sort of informs your decisions here? Well, as I'm always at pains to point out in my introduction to editions, and I've written quite a long introduction to this one, my Boeing's and Fingers are suggestions, and people can take them or leave them, but if they can be helpful, that's great, because, you know, there are some tricky passages in the Dvorak, <laughs> and maybe I, and with the help of my teacher, uh, my teachers, who gave me the first finger rings, maybe we've um, sort of found some good solutions to them, but I usually make a point when I'm playing a piece that I've of which I've done an addition, I change, I don't follow my own fingerings and bowings. I do different ones. <laughs> Actually, there's a rather nice story about this Dvorak edition. That, although Jane Cowan was my main teacher, she had an assistant called John Gwilt, with whom I also studied, and he gave me most of my first fingerings and bowings for the Dvorak. And when I was editing it for Henley, I realised that I was still using a lot of them. So I thanked him in the introduction and said, you know, how helpful they've been. Yeah. And then the book came out and the new CD of solo British cello musics. And as always, I sent them to him and his wife because he was 90, he was 91 by now. And I sent them to him and his wife wrote me a very nice email and said that I have sad news for you. John is dying. And at that point, the Vorschach still wasn't ready. So I wrote back to her, please wait, tell him to wait till he gets a little package from Germany, which was rather egotistical. But anyway, and I wrote to the lovely woman, Annette Oppermann at, at Henley, with whom I've been working. I said, please, can you send the first copy as soon as possible? And she was brilliant. She sent it immediately. And it arrived with John four days before he died. Oh, and apparently I got a lovely message he dictated to his wife, said how pleased he was and how he didn't realise what a big effect he'd had on me. And she said he was really delighted. So that was very, very nice. That's a very nice story. I'm, I'm sad that he died four days later. but Yeah, but at least he got uh, to see, you know, the legacy of his bowings and his fingerings um, mm, go exactly, on. Exactly, I know. Even if you do ignore them in performance. <laughs> well, no, I still use a lot of them for 
Yeah, and of course, well, I won't be using the music for the Dvorak. No, that's true. So I don't have to look at my own bowings and fingerings. But Henley have offered to do another version online in which we have a variety of possibilities. You know, Mm -hmm. they can do that in an app. I don't know about that. I think I've sort of finished, but I might. We might do that because, of course, they always place about which shall I choose? This is possible. This is possible. This is possible. But anyway, ultimately, every cellist has to make not oh, in the case of the Dvorak concerto, they have to make their own edition. There mm-hmm. are some pieces like Chopin Sonata and Dvorak concerto where the and the course the Bach Suites where the cellist. There are so many different possibilities yeah. coming stemming from the composer that. We have to cherry pick, really. And in my case, although I think Henry was quite right to base their edition on the first edition, because as far as we know, that was Dvorak's final thoughts. I was brought up with an edition based much more closely on the manuscript, which is earlier. And there's a couple of manuscripts. And I love that edition, and I still prefer some things in the manuscript. Mm. So I will still do them. But you know, every cellist, again, has to make their own edition. Yeah, to choose. because there are alternative fingerings and stuff. Well, not just fingerings, notes, uh, dynamics, everything. Basically alternative music, really. And, I mean, does it just come down to personal preference in the end? Of course, yeah. How you see the meaning of the music, where you want to slide. You know, my fingerings sort of suggest slides, glissandi, in certain places. Other people may think, no, that's, that's not where I want to put the slide. I want to put it there. And yeah. Of course, yeah. yeah. What I do like is that you haven't written fingering over every single note because sometimes that's quite annoying in editions when you see Mm. fingerings and bowings over every single note and you can't see anything else anymore. (laughs) Um, I've got one more question to ask you. I just thought it was quite nice how in the introduction you say that this is the first classical piece of music with which I fell in love as a child. How many times have you performed the Dvorak concerto now? Quite a lot. And the horrifying thing (laughs) is that... In 2023, it will be 50 years since I first performed it. That's horrible. That right. makes me feel so old. Yeah. Um, but it is true. I don't know quite what I'm going to do about it, if anything. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, I must say I perform the Schumann concerto and the Haydn concertos more, mm. and even the Elgar perhaps a little more. Um, but, yes, I've played Dvorak a lot, and I love it even more than I did as a child. It's funny, is the recording I listened to again and again, though I think I only listened to the first moment. I don't think, I think I was too lazy to turn over the record and listen to the second or third moments. I used to listen to it again and again. There was Rostropovich with Adrian Bolt. Mm. And of course, many years later, I was playing Britain Cello Symphony with Rostropovich in San Francisco. I told him this and he sort of frowned and said, no, 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 much better. Either Talich or Ozawa recordings. So I was obviously listening to the wrong one. And of course, later I discovered the Casals recording, which I adore. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just fabulous. Wow, 50 years. I look forward to that commemoration. Don't remind me. (laughs) You reminded yourself. (laughs) I know, I shouldn't have. I'll be depressed for the rest of the day. (laughs) It's all right, I'm playing playing Thomas Addis tonight. No, that's not at all depressive. That will cheer me up. Fabulous. Well, Stephen, thank you so much for um, speaking with me today and sharing your insights on Bach and uh, Any Anyone with an Australian accent is a friend. So that's or nice. a New Zealand accent, even. Oh, shoot. Sorry. I should have asked you to say milk. Milk. <laughs> <laughs> that was Stephen Islis. You're listening to the Saraband from Bach's fifth cello suite, as mentioned in our conversation. Unusual in the fact that it's not harmonised. Just wait till you get to the Sarabanda Suite 6. You wish you had more fingers. 
Don't forget to head to our website, thestrad.com, to check out the latest news and articles on all things to do with string playing. And if you like what you see and hear, register and subscribe to access exclusive archival content from 2010 onward. Don't forget, we've got 50% off an online subscription for students. Check the show notes for the link. Also, if you happen to be on Apple Podcasts right now, why don't you give us a little review or a rating? Five is a good number. Thanks for listening. Tune in again soon for another episode. Bye.